Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Sunday, everyone. This is Rebecca, a.k.a. from Fatale NYC, and you are tuned in to a brand new episode of Cinema Noir. Um, I am joined by my co-hosts, Kimberly Renee and Candace Frederick. Hi, ladies. Hey. Hey, happy Sunday. Hi. Um, feels like we haven't been on this podcast in a minute. Wow. <laughs> um, it's been a long time. Yeah. I know. Um, I am so excited for this podcast. We've got a lot of great stuff to talk about tonight. Um, Our movie review, of course, will be uh, the new Barry Jenkins drama, Moonlight, which is doing amazingly well um, in the specialty box office. Um, I think they've, they've opened in New York and L.A. this weekend, and then there'll be more of a national rollout in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we'll be talking about that movie. Um, we're also going to talk about Black Mirror. Um, it's a Netflix series. The third season dropped on Friday. Um, six episodes. And I am a newbie to Black Mirror. So we'll definitely be talking about that. So if there's any Black Mirror fans, you want to stay tuned for that. Um, and then we're also going to talk about another one of my favorite, my new favorite um, TV dramas uh, called This Is Us. Uh, which seems to be the breakout drama um, for the fall 2016 season. Um, And one of the themes uh, that I really love about This Is Us is the portrayal of uh, transracial adoptions and mixed-race families. Um, So we're going to be talking about that and how This Is Us basically gets it right and other shows that or movies that don't (laughs) in comparison. Um, And then, of course, our last segment um, of the podcast, uh, The Walking Dead is back for a seventh season. Seven, guys, seven seasons. Tonight, 9 p.m., yeah. Um, So, of course, uh, anybody who watched it, the season six finale ended with a hell of a cliffhanger. Um, So tonight we're after months of speculation, um, we're going to find out who gets the bat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I already said that if it's a certain character, I'm not watching this show anymore. So I guess uh, <laughs> we'll have to put our brains together and see who's going to get the pink slip tonight. So, um, yeah, so we'll get things started. We're going to talk about Moonlight. Um, Candace, I know you saw it. Can you 
give us a brief synopsis of the movie and what your thoughts were on on this on this film. Yeah, so Moonlight Moonlight is a um Barry Jenkins newest film and um many of us might remember Barry Jenkins or I know I'm a huge fan, fan of Barry Jenkins from Medicine for Melancholy, which I think he did several years back. I want to say just under 10 years ago. So I have been desperately waiting for another Barry Jenkins um, film to come up. And finally, this one came. Um, And Moonlight is essentially told in three stages. It's it's essentially a coming-of-age story um, and about a young black man named Sharon um, who is having a lot of challenges with, I think, internal challenges and just familial challenges and really trying to grasp at who he is. Um, I wouldn't strictly say sexually, but I think as in any coming-of-age story, just trying to grasp onto an identity without having one designated to him. Um, so he has a mother, um, very, in the early stages of the movie, he has a mother played by Naomi Harris, um, who's a drug addict. Um, she's very, she's, she basically leaves him by himself or asks him to, you know, if she's home and she's like kind of dealing with some, you know, adult situations, she asks him to leave. And so he basically has to raise himself, which is, um, further exacerbating his, you know, his, his formative stages. So he has to really just kind of do for himself. Um, and he gets picked on at school. Um, and he comes across or he encounters, um, a guy, um, an adult, um, played by Maharshala Ali, who is so, so good in the movie. And I, and I, I kind of wish that he was in it longer, um, much longer, but, um, he basically becomes an early mentor, for him and a very unlikely mentor um, without giving too much away. He is also a drug dealer, um, but he again becomes a mentor in the familial sense because he, because Chiron hadn't had that type of familial um, atmosphere at home. He was basically forced to get it from essentially a stranger. Um, and Janelle Monet plays Maharshala Ali's girlfriend, living girlfriend. Um, and so again, it is told in three different stages. Um, the middle stage is, I think when he's a teenager, so he's still kind of grappling with understanding who he is. And there's a lot of like different flashbacks and, um, it's really, I think it's a, it's kind of a singular story that is influenced by so many different people who come in and out of his life. The beginning being, being his mom. Secondly, um, Ahashala Ali's character. Thirdly, there's um, a recurring, um, I don't want to say recurring, but another, a peer of his who comes in and out of his life at various stages as well. Um, I would say he's the closest to a friend he's got. Um, And he really latches onto him for, you know, for a lot of different reasons. One, because he's really the only person in his school that actually talks to him um, and actually doesn't want to beat him up and, you know, kind of tries to protect him to a certain extent um, or at least try to help him defend himself. Um, and that kind of ends up 
turning into something else, um, something more passionate. Um, but what else can I say without giving everything away? But essentially, so again, it's a coming of age story um, told in three different stages, and um, three different characters are playing the the main character. Um, and Naomi Harris is the Naomi Harris um, is the only constant character, constant actor aside from um, who did I say? I'm totally blanking on the name. But anyway, I say this, I say all of this to say I really enjoyed the movie. I actually do think that Naomi Harris was really not well cast. Um, but I, I just like her in general, but I didn't think that she was, I I didn't think that she was convincing in this role. Um, but she was honestly the only kind of drawback I would say for the film. Um, but I loved the tenderness of the story. I loved that. I know a lot of people are saying that it's, um, they're identifying it as a black LGBT drama and I, and that's fine. I just don't think that that is it's it's strict category. There's so many different ways to approach it. Um, I do consider it a coming of age story. I do also consider it something that a, a, a type of story that we don't see often, and not not in that it's LGBT um, black male story, but because there's there's a there's a touching vulnerability that I don't think that we see particularly in black films between men you know even a man or a young man growing up we don't really see that we see all these other influences we will you know video games and all this other stuff that's that's kind of very external we don't really see that internal evolution that we see so well in this and even you know again the tenderness is so so gripping in this um, so it instantly kind of connects you with the character. Um, and so, yeah, I'll stop talking. Um, that, that was, that's my ramble. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually went to see, um, Moonlight on Thursday and, um, cause I know Barry, Barry Jenkins had announced, uh, that he was working on this film maybe like a year and a half ago on Twitter. So I think, uh, you know, for people who were fans of medicine for melancholy, there was, an interest that was already a, a piqued interest. And then the trailer dropped and I was just one of the best cut, one of the best edited trailers that I have ever seen this year. It was just cause it, it totally captured the mood. And um, I think what I'm so happy is that the movie totally lives up to the trailer. It totally lives up to the hype um, of, of what we were expecting. And I think Barry did a fantastic job. Um, and then um, also, I, I believe the, the, um, the, the movie is based on a screenplay um, that the full title was Black Boys Look Blue in the Moonlight, which I just love that title. I wish we could have kept that. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I believe it was a screenplay written by Terrell. I'm, I'm blanking out by his name right now. Oh, Terrell McCraney. Um, that was the screenplay. And what's so amazing about Moonlight 
what's just as amazing about the movie is the story behind Moonlight. If I understand correctly, Barry Jenkins and the, the, the playwright, Terrell McCraney, lived like four blocks away from each other. They lived in the same area in Miami, in, in Miami, but they never met each other. They never knew each other. Barry went on and did his thing. Terrell went on and did his thing. And then it was years later... Uh, when Terrell, you know, when Barry was looking for his second project, his follow-up to Medicine for Melancholy, a friend of his, a producer friend of his, um, gave him the play, and he went to seek out. So he actually went back <laughs> to Florida to track this guy down and was like, I really want to adapt this play into a movie. Um, and, you know, there's um, Barry has done a lot of interviews um, about this movie, but there are a couple of things that really stuck out to me, like the fact that he said that um, – especially, you know, he is, he identifies as heterosexual. And, you know, he was like, even though Terrell and I are both black men, you know, his experiences as a straight man, there's only so far, his empathy can only hit a certain, it it, it will hit a ceiling, right? And so he was like, you know, I know that there are things that even I don't know, you know what I mean? So there was a certain humility in the way that he approached uh, the, the the project and, and the subject matter. And I, I really hope that other filmmakers will read that because there just seems to be a certain arrogance, particularly among white male filmmakers that feel that they can just do any movie that they want, not knowing that sometimes, you know, there's a, that you have certain blind spots. You know, no matter how progressive you are as a white man, there are certain things that you're just never going to get and certain things that you're not going to understand. And that's why you need to lean on your producer or your, you know, the creator or even the co-stars to be able to take you to that next level. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting that, that Jenkins said that. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and the performances by the three actors, um, there's Alex Hibbert, who plays the young Chiron, where he's like, I guess, like nine or 10. Um, and then there's Ashton Sanders, who plays the teenage Chiron and Trevante Rose. Um, three different actors, three different age ranges. And what's, what was amazing to me was the fact that um, they had never, they never saw each other's performances at all. Um, Trevante, who plays the adult version of Chiron, said that he didn't see the other two performances. But what's so fantastic is when you watch his performances, his performances specifically, you can actually see mannerisms and you can actually see the vulnerability of the younger versions of himself, um, which really to me is a testament to Trevante Rhodes' acting ability. I've never heard of him before, so he's sort of like this newbie, but I just think that he gave he gives one of the best performances of the year. And I, if you are a casting director, if you're not trying to find this guy to put him in your movie, you're just wildin'. <laughs> he's that good. I mean, the, the cast in general is just amazing. Mahershala is wonderful. I really love Naomi Harris's um, performance, and I always you feel like yeah, I feel like that she's <laughs> I been really a very not. yeah. I I loved it because it was it was, and I think the the particularly the reason why I loved her performance is because she admits that when she came into the acting game, she specifically told her acting, um, you know, her casting agents she wanted to portray more positive uh, depictions of black women. And she said, whatever you do, do not get me any roles where I play a, a, a drug addict. I don't want to play these kind of roles. But when she got the role for this one, when she got the screenplay, and I guess when she spoke to the director and the writer, she sort of came to see that, you know, there's a humanity, 
you know, in, in people who have drug addictions, that they're not these monsters, they're not these two-dimensional people. So um, I think her discomfort, in a way, kind of elevates her, her performance to me, um, because you can see that this is a woman who's really struggling with her addiction um, and is trying to do the right thing, but, you know, um, it, it just yeah. is what it is. So I didn't see I didn't see any humanity in her character. I think that was part of the reason why I couldn't really connect with her. Like she just I, she just didn't really even toward the end where she gets a little bit more redeemed. Yeah, I'm still not seeing humanity, and that's why I didn't really identify as a three dimensional character for me. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing with addiction is that when it takes over, I mean you're not yourself. And I think that's the whole point of, of, of having the addiction is that, you know, the things that she did and the things that she said to Chiron, like the, the, the pain that she inflicted on her own child, that's wrapped up in self-hate. You know what I mean? Because I, I, to me, it feels like she was looking from the outside of herself and just like, oh my God, I can't even believe I'm doing or saying this. But, you know, addiction is, it is what is once you're in the grip of it, it's, I shouldn't say that you're mm-hmm. out of control, but it, it you're just, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to explain. I mean, I, I've mm-hmm. never experienced it myself, but at least le- listening to recovering addicts and their testimonies and, and the things that they did, there's always, mm-hmm. a sh- there's always shame addic- um, that's attached to what you did and then having to face the people that you've hurt or betrayed because of the drug addiction. So, um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, because her name is being thrown into the awards race and the Oscars race right now. Oh, is it? So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it'll be, I, I think she's going to get it because I was very upset. Well, I shouldn't say upset, but I was really disappointed when she was overlooked for Mandela because I thought she gave a great performance um, as Winnie Mandela. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they just totally acted like that didn't happen. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but going back to Moonlight, I think, um, as far as the representation, we definitely need more movies like this that speak about um, black. Um, and like you said, there was such a tenderness and there was such a a sweetness, I think. And and, and particularly mm-hmm. there's one scene, this is not spoiling anything, but Chiron's first sexual experience um, when he's a teenager was so beautifully shot and so beautifully mm-hmm. written. And the reason why I love that scene is that there was no stigma attached to it it was it was anything like you could have seen from a john well maybe not a john hughes movie but any coming of age story any you know when you lose your virginity when it's the first time usually straight uh the the more heteronormative uh narrative there's always like a romance and a and a sweetness attached to it whereas movies that deal with two gay teenagers there it's usually um it's usually stigmatized and there's usually shame attached to it but that scene did not but that didn't happen in moonlight you know what i mean i was thinking about like my first time and anybody who you know what no matter what your sexual orientation is um and that was really a testament to the writing and the acting of the two performers in that scene um you know and i i really hope that um i think somebody wrote an opinion piece that uh, basically said why all black men should go to see moonlight that it's it, while it does deal with the character is one of the themes does deal with um, his sexual awakening as a as a as a queer as a yeah who identifies as queer. Um, I do think that the movie really deconstructs, and I think Barry Jenkins does a great job at this, and the writer as well, really deconstructing what 
black masculinity and particularly what toxic masculinity means in the black community. Um, and I think no matter what your sexual orientation, I think that's something that needs to be discussed. I think that definitely that's something that definitely needs to be discussed in the black community because, you know, particularly as black women, we see this, you know, that there's this idea that um, maybe like sometimes there's this hierarchy where black men are supposed to, the, the needs of black men are supposed to come before the needs of black women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we, we laugh and we use terms on Twitter, like, you know, hoteps and Ashy Larry's and all of that. And that's just my way. Like when I use those words, that's just my, 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 I guess my mechanism of just trying to make it funny so I don't have to, you know, take it too seriously. But yeah, it is, it is serious. Unfortunately, we do, there is a segment of, of black men in our community that do not, you know, they, they feel that by replicating what they see in white male supremacy, they're bringing it into the community and somehow they don't understand that by replicating it, you're, you're just repeating the same things that we're trying to fight against. Right. So you're a black man who's saying a black lives matter and you want to try to end racism, but then you're still bringing aspects of white supremacy into into your home or the way that you treat women. No, that you're not going to get liberation that way. You know what I mean? So I really feel that um, Moonlight is to me is like a great way for men to really think like when they leave the theater like how is it how do I define my masculinity what makes me a man what is it the things that I what are the things that I feel that I have to do to prove my manhood and how does that affect the people in my life or my community or my relationships um so yeah I would I would definitely hope that that a lot and not just men but black women too women raising black sons you need to watch Mm -hmm. that movie too because that's another thing that yeah I think I think in general we do mm-hmm. have we have we as in a people <laughs> have mm-hmm. an issue with discussing LGBT humanity Entertain, entertainment in Hollywood definitely does but we also outside of the Hollywood gaze have an, mm-hmm. have an issue with that particularly the black community as well if we're just we're just going to talk about the black community that is that's something that we still grapple with and I don't hear, I mean, outside of the critics, I don't Mm -hmm. see a whole lot of men of any race or particularly black men talking about Moonlight. It's like, oh, it's not for them. I'm like, well, I'm not a black LGBT queer, you know, person either, but I still can connect to humanity. You know what I mean? And we've had Mm -hmm, these conversations before on the show, but it's just still something that I think is still kind of stuck on the rug. Like, oh, this, this movie is for you and this movie is not for you. And, I I just don't believe in the whole, you know, if it's a male narrative, women can't see it. If it's a woman narrative, men can't see it. If it's a it's a straight narrative, you know, queer people can't see it. If it's a queer narrative, I just don't identify that way. Like I don't work in that kind of narrow right. mindset. But I do think that even some of the reviews I've seen, people are just like, oh, you don't have, you know, this this film is for everyone. And yeah, I mean. M- if you're doing a film right, your film is mostly for for everyone. If you if you do a good film, it is supposed to be generally you want a wide net. Um, I mean, there mm-hmm. there might be more people who identify it than uh, than others, but to say that a film can alienate a crowd because of its sexual identity, you know, sexual orientation or sexual narrative, things like that, that is problematic to me. So, 
And people are saying, you know, because I, I was watching this um, this um, movie critic show, I think on New York One, and you and somebody was just like, oh yeah, you know, you don't, you, you know, you don't have to be a black person to like to like Moonlight. You don't have to be a black person to like any black film. You just have to really <laughs> appreciate black film. I'm going on a tangent, but all that to say, it's just I, I'm really fascinated by the narratives that have come out of people watching Moonlight. But I don't think that narrative is new, though, because we've been here before. No. Because, uh, because a couple of years ago, when, but, but there's a couple of things going on here. One, if, you're a, if you are a filmmaker who is black and you have a cast that is, that is 100% black like Moonlight, right, part of that comes from the marketing, right? A24, who is the, you know, the producer, the, the, the distributor of the movie, if you watch the marketing for Moonlight, they're very specific. Right. Or what they do is they're like, they don't ever use the word black. They don't ever use the word, oh, this is a black movie or whatever. I think if you have two eyes, it is obvious (laughs) that this is a movie. Mm -hmm. The main character is black. The whole cast is black. And they're just like, and I think what was so smart about the distributor of Moonlight is that they treated the movie as the prestige film that it is, much like, um, because I believe they um, distributed um, Ex Machina and, um, you know, some other movies that have come out. They, what I really appreciated about A24 is that they have given Moonlight the respect and the prestige that it deserves, and they, they didn't marginalize it because it is a black movie. So I think part of it is you as a filmmaker, you have to really look at, you know, the relationship that you have with your studio and how they're going to take care of your baby, so to speak, right? So there's that. The other side of it is the fact that, unfortunately, um, yeah, we do have mainstream people, and that's mainstream, that's my word for white people, who are just really jacked up in the fact they have a very jacked up perception when they don't see people that look like them. They're not interested, right? Because a, a few years ago when um, The Best Man, uh, Best Man Holiday came out, right, which is a movie that was mostly black, um, and, and the things that they dealt with were very universal, right, infertility, um, you know, infidelity, um, you know, uh, terminal illness, these are things that anybody could relate to, but the the movie critic who wrote for USA Today called it a black themed movie. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that. So mm-hmm. you so even within white within the body of white film criticism, you still have some critics that are on some fuckery where when they see a movie with a black cast, they're already marginalizing it. Like I've been in discussions, and they the thing is again this goes back to invisibility where they don't even see black people. But I've been in rooms where white film critics, I guess they forgot I was there or forgot that I was a film critic too, where they just openly say that they are not interested in movies that have black cast. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So so there's uh-huh. that. Not and so that and then that also extends to white moviegoers who may go in who may see a, you know, the poster for Moonlight, which has nothing this has nothing about, oh, this is a black gay movie. They're just going to look at it, and they're going to be like, oh, well, he doesn't look like me. He doesn't look like Todd. He doesn't look like Trevor, so never mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to go see Manchester by the Sea or whatever that Casey Affleck movie is. But that's what it is. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> that's, that's the unspoken truth is that people, there are some people who are just not interested in movies where the people do not look like them. They just don't. And so I think what happens is there's a pushback within the black film community where we feel like we have to say, yeah, but this movie is for you. You know what I mean? Like there, there are right. things in this movie that you can actually relate to. There could be a 13-year-old kid from Minnesota, you know, who's grappling with his sexual identity who could absolutely relate to Moonlight, but his parents may not take him to go see that movie. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I mean? So there's, there's just all these factors coming in. I personally don't have a problem with people using um, the label of a black gay, uh, a black LGBT movie for Moonlight. Because I look at it more like it's a genre. It's a, la- it's a labeling. It's still a film. It's universal in scope, but it's, it's still specific in the subject matter, right? Because Chiron's um, Chiron's surroundings and the things that shape him are very specific to his race and his economic status, which is very different from if he was a white upper middle class kid from Long Island, right? So you know what I mean. So the the thing is, you I feel like the best movies, particularly movies from people of color or marginalized community, I always feel that it is always a mistake where you try to make the movie mainstream. Don't do that because what you do is you strip the color, you strip the flavor from the movie. <laughs> Be as specific as possible and then work your way out. People who are interested, they'll watch it. That's my personal right. opinion. I feel that you shouldn't take the mainstream approach. You should, you should be as specific as, po- specific as possible in your storytelling with your characters and, and, and not worry about, oh, is this going to be mainstream about? Let the studio worry about that. That's what the marketing department is for. That's what the PR department is for. You as a filmmaker, your job is the art. That's it. That's that's yeah. just my personal opinion. So, I think it's funny how you know people find it so hard to identify with these films with people who don't look exactly like them. But when you're mm-hmm. not a white male, then that's all you have to do. You have to identify with films with people who don't look like you, or you never go to the movies, or you rarely watch TV. So it's, it's always interesting to me how it's so hard for someone to comprehend how you can identify with a film about a young black male if you're not a young black male. But as a black woman, you know, I have to identify with real feral films to, to you know, go through them or to enjoy it or all these other people that are out there. It's just ridiculous. It's kind of crazy. Mm, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, but, yeah, this is all to say, <laughs> Candace and I love Moonlight. So if you have not seen Moonlight, please go see this movie. It is a fantastic movie, whether you're white, purple, green, whatever your sexual identity falls on the spectrum, there is something in this movie for you. Um, so I, I loved it. Candace loves it. So I would definitely re- recommend this movie to anybody um, who's interested yeah. in seeing it. Um, we're going to jump because, oh gosh, we're at this hour point. We're going to jump to this is us and then we'll kind of flip it around. But yeah, I did want to talk about our next uh, segment is, is this is us, which is a new NBC drama uh, that premiered, we're four episodes in? Yes, we're four episodes in. Um, and I got to tell you, I saw the trailer for This Is Us, and I was like, I don't know what this movie is. I don't know what this TV show is about. I have no idea. And I just really didn't pay attention to it. But then, um, you know, I would be on, you know, my timeline, because I think it comes on at Tuesdays, right? Tuesdays or Wednesdays, I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just see, like, people, like, live tweeting it I'm like huh mm-hmm. I saw the first episode I saw the second and I was like okay I guess you know I need to give this show a try so I actually um binge watched the first three episodes I was so unprepared for how fantastic this show because NBC I haven't NBC and I just have not been friends I don't really there's not really anything that I watch on NBC anymore I mean I know that there are shows like the blacklist that people watch and Superstore but me personally I haven't watched NBC in a minute um since parenthood went away so um I am just so happy that NBC has is back on the ball with giving us like really um, smart, intelligent adult dramas that don't deal with 
you know, and this is just my personal opinion. I feel like a lot of shows right now, they're just competing with each other to see like the most shocking twists and turns and deaths and whatever. Like they're just stunting in a lot mm-hmm. of their storytelling. And I just love that This Is Us. It does not do that. There's a twist at the end of the first episode where you realize how the three characters episode. are. Yeah, you know yes. what I mean? And so there's a twist, but it's never it's never manipulative. It's never feeling like, hey, I got you. Ha, ha, ha. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I was just but, – but particularly with This Is Us, and I live-tweeted a little bit about it, and we can talk about it too. Um, what I was really impressed with with This Is Us is uh, – the Sterling Brown character, uh, Randall, uh, the Randall character, is the product of a transracial adoption. So basically, there, there's no spoilers here. Um, uh, the, the, the movie, the show starts with a couple who are expecting triplets. Two of, uh, two of the triplets survive. The third triplet dies. Um, and then while they're in the hospital, the, uh, a fireman drops off a foundling, a, a little black child that was, baby that was left at the firehouse. And so they decide... Well, we said we were coming to a, you know, we were leaving the hospital with with three babies. So they decide to adopt this black baby, raising them with the, you know, with their biological children. And I think what really impressed me about This Is Us is that they have been so smart and so intelligent in the, the topic of transracial adoptions, because I just have not been impressed with Hollywood's take on it. Like, I hated the, the blind side with Sandra Bullock, that movie just made my skin crawl. I hated it. And a lot of movies that deal, and even losing Isaiah to a certain extent, those type of movies where a white person adopts, there's always like this ickiness around this where it's like, oh, I'm white Jesus savior here to save the day and save this black child from its poor situations. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And while This Is Us does have DNA of, of, of losing Isaiah where we find out that Randall's parents were drug addicts um, and that's why the father, you know, left him at the firehouse because they knew they, they could not raise this child. I think what they do that's so different and so revolutionary in the fact that not only does the father come back, who is played by Ron Cephas Jones, who I'm in love with, but they give him a backstory mm-hmm. and they humanize him. So he's not like mm-hmm. some guy who's just like, oh, I was a drug addict or whatever. Like they give him substance and they give him backstory. And you know what I mean? And so even the relationship now that he's back in his son's life, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Like how do you rectify not being in your child's life for close to 40 years? You know what I mean? And so they're basically building their relationship from scratch. But you know, I love the fact that they deal with that. And also in the flashbacks when you see um, you see Randall being raised in this house, I love the fact that they tackle the fact that he is black. They don't try to do mm-hmm. this kumbaya, I don't see race, I don't see color. You know what I mean? Like this, this past uh, mm-hmm. episode, a uh, brilliant episode called The Pool, um, where Randall had like razor bumps in the back of his head. And that's because the parents don't know how to cut black hair because our hair grows differently. So the way that he cuts his white son's hair, he's he's cutting Randall's hair that way, but he can't do that because they have two different hair textures. You know what I mean? Or even the Mm -hmm. scene where she was like, should I put sun, sun, you know, sun, sun tan lotion? Should I put sun block on me? Like it's so funny and so cute, but Mm -hmm. so smart. Like those, those are things that white parents would you know, but I, I, I'll hand it to you, too, and just you guys can tell me what you think of the show and that topic. 
Yeah. I well, see, it's interesting that you mentioned you haven't watched NBC since Parenthood because as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, this show has like a real hard Parenthood vibe. So it kind of yeah. you know hooked me in right from the beginning. I was like, okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched mm-hmm. the first episode, like I knew what the show was about, like these people who shared this birthday, but I wasn't thinking that they were siblings. So you know, at the end of the first episode, you're like, yep. oh man, they dropped the mic. <laughs> like I'm, I in, I'm all the way in. <laughs> so yeah, so from there, I, like you said, I do appreciate the way that they they handle race. Um, this past not the past episode, but episode before this where we find out how Randall got his name because originally I think it was Kevin, Kate, and Kyle. And Mm -hmm. mom was talking about how she was having this trouble kind of bonding with him. And you don't really know if that's Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's adopted or because he's black or what the issue is, but she does go and connect and, you know, meets with the father. And, you know, he gives them this Dudley Randall book. And I'm like, who, what HBCU English major is writing this show? Because no one knows about (laughs) Dudley Randall. Like, the fact that they had a Dudley Randall book, I was like, this show just got so real and so black so quick. It was kind of crazy. Um, because people just, like, just don't randomly know about Dudley Randall. But so, you know, she goes back and she gives him his own identity. He's not the twin that they lost. He's a completely separate human being who has, you know, a separate background and, you know, trying to blend him into this family. Even though he's just a baby, you know, there was a little bit of disconnect there. So I really appreciated mm-hmm. that episode. Um, and like you said, this week with the pool and do you put sunscreen mm-hmm. on a black kid? And especially I feel like mm-hmm. in the eighties, I don't know if mm-hmm. a lot of black kids were putting on sunscreen. Like I feel like I don't ever remember wearing sunscreen when I was a kid. Maybe that's just me, but you know, she's like kinda confused. She doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously they don't know what to do with his hair. Um mm-hmm. and so, you know, she meets this other woman who's at the pool, a black woman. And, you know, she kind of helps her out, so I appreciated that. But, yeah, I like the way they're tackling it. They're not kind of brushing it under the rug. Like, we know that Randall is black. We know that his life was extremely different from his siblings just because he is black. Growing up in this white family, he talks about how, you know, these schools that he went to, he was usually the only black kid. He has a notebook where he actually tallies every black person that he meets. And, you know, yes. he's related to them. Like, that is that's some serious stuff that, you know, you don't really, you know, we saw him with a notebook and didn't really know what it was until he talks about it later. It's just, mm-hmm. I just feel like the way that they're handling it is spot on. I really love this show. The writers are, I look forward to seeing mm-hmm. how it kind of develops over the course of the season. Yeah, it's one of those, it's really one of those shows that you can see that the narrative is continuing to evolve and you're just like, at least for me at the end of every episode, I'm just like, wait, so what does that mean for the first episode? Like every episode, I'm just like, I'm I'm like learning something new that really provides or adds another layer to what I thought I already knew about these people, which is really <laughs> hard to do as a new show, but this does it so mm-hmm. seamlessly. Um, and it's funny, I was telling, my friend was asking me about This Is Us, and she was just like, what is that? Everyone keeps talking about, talking about it. And I was just like, having a little bit of trouble trying to sell her on it, only because it's so basic, but so, um, interesting at the same time. Like, it's literally about Mm -hmm. people living their lives. (laughs) But it's, it's told, I think it's the way the story told 
is even more interesting than the actual story. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if they had it in a, like a linear narrative, if if it was you know all an all white family, if, it, if they have these little touches that really kind of make it you know so much more interesting than it could have been. Um, mm. And I like that you know I think the the first era of the narrative takes place like think uh, late seventies early eighties. And to and generally we don't see when we see these portrayals, particularly on the small screen of families within that era, it's always very kind of like, you know, the mom has this duty, the dad has this duty, you know, everything's very, you know, they just make it work. Everything just seems completely okay all the time. But the way that they're telling this story, it's like, Things are not very okay all the time. Things are really messy sometimes. Sometimes you just don't know how to parent. Sometimes you doubt your your parenting skills. Sometimes you doubt your love for your children. Sometimes you don't want to see your children. Sometimes you don't like your <laughs> husband. You know what I mean? Mm. And sometimes, you know, your husband is, is messing up, you know? Things like that, that that I was so taken by. I was just like, oh, we're really going to see these people in their element. You know what I mean? So they're very, it's very, very human in that aspect. Um, and I like how, um, and I said this kind of about um, the, the Fosters, but I like how there's, there's diversity on this show that doesn't really seem to be for the sake of diversity. It seems very, very natural. Like, obviously, the, these, these parents, um, you know, adopted this, this black baby and, what does that look like? Like, let's have a real conversation of how that, you know, what, what that looks like in terms of a family trying to, or a mom particularly trying to identify her maternal instincts with this new baby um, who did not come from her and really kind of mm-hmm. understanding that and seeing how that's portrayed. And even to your point, Rebecca, about like the blind side and other, and other iterations of this type of thing, I think What's interesting about This Is Us is that, oh, goodness, I was in, um, totally lost my train of thought. So I think what's interesting about it that it seems just more real, more, like, educated, more thorough, about mm-hmm. just a deeper understanding of what that looks like again. And we see it all the time in Hollywood, like, you know, um, black woman or black man or black, co- I mean, not black woman, um, white woman or white man or white couple adopts this black child or um, a child else who's non-black, I mean, non-white, what, you know, how, how does that look like in their home? You know, how do they deal with, you know, um, just like basic things that they think that everybody can relate to? How does mm-hmm. that look for, for their child? How is, how is their child absorbing this information? How are they bringing it outside? Things like that that I think this show does well in its portrayal, that, that you know, he's tallying, you know, um, names of black people that he meets. And that whole, the whole pool episode was really, really telling, really, really mm-hmm. telling with um, not only Randall's perspective, but also the parents' perspective. And there's also um, an, an interesting dynamic between Randall and his two siblings as well. Um, mm-hmm. So... I'll stop talking, but that, that's my, that's been my kind of view of the show so far. I think it's very, very smart. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And um, 
that episode, the the fourth episode titled The Pool, I think what blew my mind about that episode, besides all the, the details, um, you know, that happened in that, is the very setting that they used a pool to tell that story because historically pools have been a symbol of segregation in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until, like, you know, the 60s or 70s that you could, as a black person, that you could even go into the same pool as a white person, right? And what's interesting Mm -hmm. is that even though this flashback takes place in the 80s, when they go to that pool, it is still segregated. It's still segregated. The black mm-hmm. family is sitting. The black families are sitting on one side of the pool. The white families are sitting on the other side of the pool. And that's why when she looks for Randall, she can't find him because he's over there with the black kids. You know what I mean? So it was mind-blowing that even then, even though, yeah, you know, it's it's the 80s, you know, it's supposed to be post-Civil War, that we're still, that you still saw shades of that. You still saw mm-hmm. shades of the, the separation of that community. And it just broke my heart to see the isolation that you saw that Randall was um, experiencing. And I think that was the first time that his parents really understood that he needs to have children that look like him. That, of course, as much love as they could give him and as much love that he got from his siblings, he is still going to have that connection with his people. He's still going to need, he's still going to seek out people that look like him. And I think Mandy Moore, who, by the way, I just, you know, was like, oh, she's a cute little pop star. Oh, she's trying to do the acting Mm -hmm. thing. That's cute. When the hell did Mandy Moore (laughs) become this amazing actress? I must have let her know Right? Because she, you know, she was doing like the little young adult movie, you know, like uh, Walk to Remember or whatever, which I saw. I was like, okay, that's cute. I did love her voiceover in Tangled. I I love that. But like in This Is Us, I'm just totally blown away by her performance. I'm like, okay, man. All right. She is grown up. So yeah, so it'll be interesting because I think the Emmy race next year, I'm already predicting this. This Is Us is about to shake some shit up. Okay, there's, I'm sure there are some actresses right now that are already like, you know, they're, they're already working on their like, yeah, it's a shoe in for me. I know I'm going to get a nomination. No, you're not. Because <laughs> I can already tell you right now for the lead for the for the lead actors category, Sterling K. Brown is about to get a lot of people shook. So yes. people that are just coasting on their little performances right now, you better bring your A game because Sterling K. Brown is fantastic in this show. Ron Stephens Jonas, oh my God, I just love this guy. I've just because I've seen him in Luke Cage, I've seen him in This Is Us. <laughs> what a, mm-hmm. he's in Mr. Robot. Um, there's another show that I'm forgetting that he's in right now, but he's a fantastic, just fantastic actor. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was just. But with that episode, I just love that they they weren't afraid to talk about these uncomfortable truths um, that happen mm-hmm. when you have transracial families like if you don't talk Mm -hmm. about it how are you supposed to fix it you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. to just adopt this very like PC like oh everything is cool in the game that doesn't help anybody so (laughs) I'm I'm hoping that there if there are transracial families you know if they are watching this is that it can open up these kind of dialogues you know what I mean that perhaps they can sit down with their black child or you know non non non-white child and be like hey you know if is there anything you want to talk about or if there's, is there anything that we're doing that's making you uncomfortable or whatever, you know what I mean? And because this is how you, to me, I, I feel that this is us, while it's not overtly political as in, you know what I mean? Like it's not, doesn't have the hashtag black lives matter, but I think 
it does. It absolutely shows that Black Lives Matter, and it shows in a way how you can kind of make those connections between the black and white community in a way that is authentic and respectful of each other without, you know what I mean? Or in a way of compromising in a way without disrespecting each other. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought that yeah. they have done a, a great, a great job with that. Yeah. They, I mean, just to even piggyback off of, you, off of what you were saying about uncomfortable truths, I think, Every character is also kind of experiencing that, even down to Randall's mm-hmm. father, you know, Randall's two parents, they're dealing with mm-hmm. things. Randall's mm-hmm. sister, who we did not talk about, because I, I think that her portrayal is actually amazing, and I can't remember the actress's name, but her character's name mm-hmm. is Kate. And, you know, she is, have, she, she's trying to come to terms with her own, her, with, I know she says that she's, um, trying to come to terms with her way or trying to come to terms with her body positivity, things like that. And so Mm -hmm. she's been going to like weight loss classes. She's been going to weight loss support groups and things like that. And she's, her character to me is just showing um, a side of America, like people, women who we, we just don't really see that portrayed on the small screen or even the big screen. It's just like, okay, let's just not talk about it. She's actually talking about it. She's, we're seeing her struggles. We're seeing her challenges. And that, I think, mm-hmm. is also really, really good on the show. They don't skirt around it. Like, this is a thing. We're going to talk about right. it. You know, it's difficult. It's, you know, and also dating as well. They didn't, they didn't just alienate her like, oh, she's a big girl who can't find a man. No, she actually found a man and, you know, trying to, one, make that a realistic thing and, and also um, a thing that's very normal in entertainment mm-hmm. um, is something that I think is an, another way um, that the show has really um, portrayed just real life and real real people um, and yep. a real struggle. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you because I was really nervous about that storyline. I was like, oh, no, whenever they – kind of tackle storylines of, you know, plus size women or overweight women. It's usually like a train crash that you can't help but not look at. Um, <laughs> but I but I but I agree with you, Candace. I, I was really surprised at how they did that. Like you're right. Like that I mean, yes, there's the whole body positive positive movement, right? Which, you know, like right now Gabby Sidibay, Danielle Brooks, um, they two of them are the spokesmodels for Lane Bryant, which is just revolutionary in itself. Shouldn't be, because I didn't know this. Um, Danielle Brooks was on an interview. She was like, 67% of women in America over a size 12 or a size 12. You know what I mean? So even though technically by numbers they are the norm, when you look at the media, there's an, there's an erasure of that. You don't you don't mm-hmm. see that body. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think, but I think with this show, I think they're showing the other side, like, yes, while you can be proud, like Gabby and be like, yeah, I love my body and I don't give a hell what anybody says, you know, you've got characters like Kate, you have women like Kate who, who struggle, you know what I mean? And, 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 and people who shame them for, you know, who they are, like, we, we don't feel confident all the damn time. Like I've been fighting mm-hmm. with this damn 15 pounds for three years. And I was just like, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm just like, listen, when I work out and I go to the gym and when I'm eating healthy, that's where I'm going right now. It's really about health and, you know, having a strong body. I may never fit into a size eight ever again. And I have to be okay with that. You know what I mean? Because it's a number on a, on a, on a tag. And if you're letting a number dictate <laughs> what your worth is as a mm-hmm. woman, 
you're just never going to be happy. You're just never going to be happy. And so it's, it's just incredible to see her on this journey where she's learning to accept herself and learning to love herself. I don't know if she's ever going to lose the weight. She she may she may never lose the weight. And and I hope the message of the show is that even if she doesn't, that's okay. Whether she does, that's right. cool. And if she doesn't, that's cool too. Though I, right. I, I yes. also love and, the fact that in I, addition, oh, I'm like that. No, I was just going to say I, yes. I do. I I do hope they end up going in that direction. That direction, but I don't hate the way that the the direction that they're already in because mm-hmm. not everybody is going to feel positive every day. Not everybody's going yep. to have that 100% confidence every day. Everybody has mm-hmm. their issues. And so this show is showing that it's showing that there's a lot of, you know, things that people are grappling with and, you know, there, there have been other shows that are just like, Oh, very positive, very um, body positive, blah, blah, blah. But you can, you can still be human. You can still say, you know, I'm just not feeling awesome. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling awesome today, you know, and I haven't mm. been feeling awesome for a couple of years. So what does that look like on TV? And so where, where are those characters? Cause people want to be able to, people don't, I mean, obviously, there there's mentors and there's people who, you know, idols that people can look up to, like Danielle Brooks and maybe even Gabrielle Sidibe, but they also want to see other people who are just, okay, am I the only one struggling? No, because Kate is right here, too. You're not, you're not. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I also love that, you know, like we said, all these characters are extremely human. They're flawed. They have their issues, and we see that, um, especially with Kate. You know, she is has this battle with her way that she's trying to work through, but she's also a sexual being, and they didn't like, mm-hmm. you know, she's not waiting until she loses 10 pounds before she mm-hmm. gets her groove back with old dude who's like, whose name I cannot mm-hmm. remember. You know, like, he's awesome. that's something that we rarely ever see. Like, oh, plus size people, obese people, overweight people, they have sex too, like, a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. And so I love the fact mm-hmm. that they just a brief thing, you know, it wasn't anything over the top, but, you know, you know that Kate is still, you know, she likes this dude, she's vibing with him, he likes her, they're going to get it in. Mm-hmm. It's all good. So I did appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really, I can't wait for the new episode. That's how I feel. Like, I feel like just, even though it's an hour, it always feels like the hour just goes by like this and it's like, ah, oh, God, seven more days. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what they do with it. I, I haven't seen the um, – I need to see the um, the the uh, preview for next week. I haven't seen that yet, but I'm sure it'll it'll be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, what we'll do is uh, for our uh, – really quickly, Black Mirror dropped on Netflix. Um, if I remember correctly, it was originally a BBC – it's a BBC drama – um, first two seasons, and then the third season, which is six episodes, dropped on Netflix on Friday. I am a Black Mirror newbie. I heard people. I've I heard a couple of people who talked about Black Mirror, but I just never had time to sit down and and watch it. Um, so I had the pleasure <laughs> of watching my very mm-hmm. first season of Black Mirror. Uh, so the third season, yeah, has six episodes. And the very first episode is called Nosedive, which stars Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, and the the uh, screenplay was co-written by Mike Schur and our favorite person, Rashida Jones. 
Oh my God. <laughs> I watched that first episode and I was like, I am so hooked on this show. I don't, because it's kind of like um, my friend Robert Young described Black Mirror as Twilight Zone with a tech uh, edge to it, right? So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, every episode has to deal with technology, like technology gone wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the first episode is basically uh, Bryce Howard. She's like this very, you know, uptight person. And so she lives in this, I guess it's like the near future kind of futuristic where your social media standing is your currency. Like there's no money in the mm-hmm. future. Like it, it, Like people grade you. Like let's say if you went to Starbucks and you ordered a coffee, you grade the coffee server and the coffee server mm-hmm. grades you. Right. So you Mm -hmm. take your phone and you kind of clip and, you know, if your rating um, goes below a 2.5, you just basically disappear like you are non-existent. Um, And Mm -hmm. if let's say if you wanted to apply for an apartment, your 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 social your social media rating has to be at least a 4.5 or you can't even get the apartment. So it kind of shows what she goes through. And I was just sitting there like I need to reevaluate my life just about now because (laughs) it's just. And I, you could tell that because Rashida, I don't know, but I, I know Mike Schur is on, on Twitter and Rashida Jones is on Twitter too, but it really was true. Like it felt true because this is what's happening right now, mm-hmm. right? Because let's, let's be real. It's like social media, a big part of it is validation, right? Like if you post mm-hmm. something or you tweet something, you're looking to see how many times it got retweeted. You want to see how many mm-hmm. times it got liked. You want to see if anybody responded to it. Or if you post a picture on Instagram, how many people, you know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of validation or people that need to have the need for validation that goes on in social media. And what happens when you take it to that final conclusion where that, where it becomes your worth and, I didn't. I didn't feel that that episode was um, unrealistic or outlandish because I think we talked about this last year. Um, there was an an article where they said in Hollywood that now when they cast movies, the studios look at an actor's social media presence. They want to know mm-hmm. how many followers you have, how much engagement you have, and that could be the difference between you getting a role or not. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're a great actress. It doesn't matter if you went to Juilliard. If you don't mm-hmm. have a Twitter account. You're not getting this role, you know what I mean, or or they won't mm-hmm. even consider you. So, yeah, it was just sort mm-hmm. of like it was just very bizarre. And then, you know, each of the episodes have a different slant or twist. But I was I was hooked. I was hooked. And the great thing mm-hmm. about it is that there it's, it's an anthology it's an anthology series, so it's not a series. So it is a standalone episode. So you don't you can watch it out of order. If you watch mm-hmm. if you want to watch season three and then watch season two and one, which what I'm doing, that's totally fine. But yeah, it's it's a great show. It is really really good, and I I have been looking mm-hmm. for a really good sci-fi series, and I think Black Mirror mm-hmm. is my new lover right now. <laughs> yeah, so. you know I um started seeing the commercial, so I started watching it when it first debuted. I started watching the first season, and mm-hmm. I really couldn't get into it. I put it down. Hmm. And so okay. flashback to this year, like, what was it, maybe two weeks ago, started getting mm-hmm. emails about the new season, and I was like, wow, it lasted that long? <laughs> I have nobody talking about it, and I thought it was just going to disappear, and I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. it's, it's still alive, the show. And so I just, and, and, and it sounds like a show that I would love, and so I was just like, well, you know what, let me go back and try this again, and I got hooked. <laughs> like, I watch, I've seen every single episode now. 
Mm -hmm. I will say that the first season is definitely my least favorite. Like I just, I think it was still kind of trying to find its footing or maybe, or maybe it was just so bizarre that I was just like, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) Um, And then the second season I think is way better than the first season. It's one of those shows, it's one of those series Mm -hmm. that actually gets better with age because the third season is Ah. is most seamless um, season Mm -hmm. yet. Um, I think one, I mean, they, they're in different locations in the third season. That's not like that in other seasons. They're using mm-hmm. some really big names in the third season. They did not use mm. any big names in the first or second season. And so there's, there's like, there's just ways to kind of go in and out of it, um, in and out of the, the, like different, there might be different episodes that you might appeal to more, but I think there's just more variety in the plots, variety in the types of characters. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what's interesting. And I think what's always been its thing is that it's showing the horrors of tech right now, the horrors yeah. of digital media. I mean, it's really saying it in a way that is um, definitely a little bit, it's probably a little bit over the top, but not really because social, social media is, 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 has become our currency and people are so enveloped by social media now that it is defining them, mm-hmm. which, is, which is scary. But that's, you know, this show doesn't skirt around that. It actually tells you, Yo, this is happening. <laughs> Y'all better get ready. This is not the future. This is 2016. <laughs> Correct. So, and so it's very, it's very smart in that sense. Um, and mm-hmm. there are, I mean, the first episode of this season, this third season, actually was probably my least favorite of the of the season. But mm. uh, but I did I did like it. I was just like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like what it was what, what it was saying. My my favorite episode was the one that I actually didn't think I was gonna love was mm-hmm. the one with Gugu Goo and Batra and um, oh gosh I cannot remember the actress's oh, name. Oh Mackenzie Davis. Up, like, yes, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was just brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, every episode kind of it just again talks about perception, talks about um, the the importance that we put on digital media, on social media, on there's, Mm -hmm. there's an episode where a kid, um, he is pleasuring himself. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody sees him, um, somebody Mm -hmm. that he doesn't even know, like this is how much importance we, we put on people who we've never met, don't have a name, (laughs) but they want our money. (laughs) You know, these are people who live inside of our, 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 our computer, but yet has such a hold on us that, you know, this, this kid goes way out of his way in order to not have this thing about him leaked, not have Mm -hmm. video of him pleasuring himself leaked and everything. And so that's, again, it's just, how and you notice how most of the characters on the series they're not connected to any other human they're usually mm-hmm. connected to media i mean there are some instances where there's an actual like couple or a relationship but even in that within that couple they're not mm-hmm. connected they're connected to like their devices and they're connected to what perfect strangers have to say about them or like they're more concerned about that than they are with their partner what they what yep. they think of them and what they think of their relationship, which is really telling. Like this is what we're living in right now. Yep. And and, and I think and you hit it on the head. I think that's why 
this, well, again, this is my first season of watching Black Mirror, but I think watching the episodes, it really is making me reevaluate, like, my relationship with social media and how I use it and how I engage with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I don't think that these episodes are, you know, shaming people like, oh, you use social media. Mm-hmm. That's awful. But, I mean, the thing is, like, when you, when you exaggerate something, that's the whole thing about sci-fi and speculative fiction is about exaggerating something to try to really get to a hidden truth. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the and, and like you said, it's about the isolation and why people are becoming more connected, uh, you know, where they're not engaged in their actual lives, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that they have mm-hmm. to find a second life online. Like I was telling somebody today that, you know, I've met, there are some people, you know, that I've made friends with or whatever, or, you know, met on Twitter or on social media, and mm-hmm. they have a certain persona, and then you meet them in person, and they are nothing like their online persona, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> what the heck? You know what I mean? Because it gives you some, you know, when you have that, when you have that anonymity, it gives you a certain braveness and what I call, you know, mm. keyboard gangsters where they feel like they can just say <laughs> anything to you, where they would never say that to you in person. Yeah, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? So, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's something that I've always tried to work on is like, you know, even before I send a tweet out, I always ask myself, would I say this out loud or could I say mm-hmm. this to this person's face? If I couldn't, then I usually won't send out the, t- the tweet, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I try to keep a certain thing so that it's like if you meet me in person, I'll be like, oh, Rebecca's nothing, like the way she is <laughs> on Twitter. Like mm-hmm. I've tried to work on that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, it's funny that you said that, Candace, because uh, the people um, that I follow or, that, or who I've seen watching or live-tweeting Dark Mirror, it seems that San Junipero, that episode with Gugu, mm-hmm. it seems to be mm-hmm. the all-time favorite. Um, I have some theories yeah. as to why. It's a great episode, by the way, and I just love Gugu. And I, yep. I'm convinced that this woman can do everything. This woman can play yep. an 18th century socialite. She can play an 80s Madonna <laughs> thing. She can play mm-hmm. a, a, a 2016 pop star with purple hair. I'm like, is there anything mm-hmm, this girl mm-hmm. can't play? Okay. But, nope. I, but the reason, yeah. And so the, re- and the thing that I loved about Sanjay, uh, about Black Mirror is not only was the cast very diverse, I love that. Mm-hmm. And two, um, and with Sanjay Napiro, it was, the fact that we had a, a, a queer love story between two women mm-hmm. in a sci-fi show and in an interracial lesbian couple at that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't even remember the last, I mean, you might see it on some TV shows, like on, you know, CC or whatever, but as far as like mainstream, big budget movies, you don't really see that, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I love San Junipero. I thought it was, it just, it was just so emotional. I was like, ah, it's all in my feelings. Um, but of yeah. course the dark side of myself was, um, I can't lie. I did like episode five, <laughs> Men Against Fire with the, that was the one with the soldier with Malachi. Uh, yes, Kirby. that was a good one. Holy yep. crap. Yeah. I was just yeah, sitting yeah. there like, what mm-hmm. just happened here? <laughs> yeah. 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 It really it was very good. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the whole season is, is, is again, I think the strongest season because it's the most, it's because there are some seasons, like the first two seasons, I'm just like, okay, I really love like this one episode or that one episode. But mm-hmm. season three is actually, it's most consistent. Like most mm. of the episodes are actually just really, really good. Actually, all the episodes are really good in, in, um, yeah. in season three. There are some I prefer more than others. Like I love San mm-hmm. Junipero and I love the one with Malachi Kirby. And I actually really love the second episode 
with dude who like had you know the that he was calling his mom or his mom was calling oh my him God. and then he was like that was that freaked me out that episode yes <laughs> I was it like really what did. is going on <laughs> it, it, you know you noticed that about I don't know if, if the other seasons like that but I noticed like every episode I saw of Black Mirror this season it was like you get the twist, right? So it would be like a, a punch in the gut. And they're like, oh, I'm not done with you. And then they punch you in the eye. And then they would kick you right. in the ass. Like, oh, get out. <laughs> right. I'm like, My what God. is going on? I feel like I was him. I was just like, I'm confused. I don't know what to do for you, man. I don't know. I'll help you get out of this. It was, it was so awesome. crazy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anybody listening, um, third season, actually all three seasons of Black Mirror are on Twitter, are on Netflix. If I remember correctly, there's 13 episodes in all with, between all three seasons. So if you have like a weekend or if you want to watch an episode per night, I would highly recommend it. Again, it's an anthology series. It's so it's each episode is a standalone um, episode, so you don't have to watch it in sequential order. But I love it. I oh. I cannot wait for season four. Yeah, go ahead. Me neither. There is one mm-hmm. one quick thing because we were talking about Google earlier. Just quickly. Mm-hmm. Netflix has another anthology series that Google is a part of as well. She does one episode called Easy, mm-hmm. and it's very, very, very good. If you guys haven't seen it, please get on it. That's all I'll say okay. because, you know, this is – I think this is now her second uh, Netflix series. Oh, wow. Oh, so it's called, e- like, E-A-S-Y, right? Easy? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm going to check and, that out. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, it's also ahead. interesting – Sorry, and, mm-hmm. and also what was interesting is that there's a there's a episode in that anthology series of there's only one season of Easy that it's an interracial lesbian couple as well. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. All right, that's, that's cool. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 really impressed by Black Mirror. I know they announced um, they they're already on work on season four. Judy, I mean Jody uh, Jody Foster is going to be directing an mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm, uh, for mm-hmm. season four, and I I forget who the who the lead is. I'm, I'm forgetting who the actress is. Um, but yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to season four. I'm I'm already ready for my for my next pick. So, um, yeah. So real quickly before we end up, uh, we can wrap up. The Walking Dead season premieres uh. tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern <laughs> time. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something right now. This show. The Walking Dead just stresses me the fuck out, and that that yes. freaking. Stupid! I I just cannot. And then the whole thing with like the the hang the the um cliffhanger. So now we're gonna have we we had to wait like four or five months to find mm-hmm. out who gets the bat. Now before anybody comes in our mentions, yes, we know in the comic book Glenn is the one who dies. But I would just like to point out that the show has gone off canon quite a few times. So it might be Glenn. It might not be Glenn. So who do you think or for? You can start first, Kim. Who do you think could get it if it's not Glenn? Who do you think it could be? Oh gosh, I don't. I feel like we just had like this cliffhanger with Glenn, so for him to turn around <laughs> and be dead right now is just too soon. I I couldn't take it. Um, <laughs> part of me feels like it's Carl. Yeah. Part of me <gasps> wants it to be Carl. Yep. Not that I don't like <laughs> Carl, but if it's Michelle, <laughs> I don't dislike Carl. I'm okay. No, Carl's fine. <laughs> However, if it's Michonne or Glenn, you know, I will not be at work tomorrow. I'll be at home. I'll be in bed. <laughs> and it's just not really working for me. So I'm going to go with Carl. And I feel like that's the, like the way to hit Rick is to get Carl. So Woo! I'm going to say it's Carl. 
I think it's Carl. Dang. What do you think, Candace? Yeah. I thought it was Carl as well. I actually always thought it was Carl. I um, <laughs> it was interesting because I thought that I saw that. I was just like, oh wait, so we're, it's a cliffhanger. I thought I saw him, and so in my head, I had convinced myself that it was Carl until like folks were just like, oh, who is it? I'm like, wait, is it not Carl? <laughs> like I thought that's what I thought we all were on the same page with that. But so now, now I'm confused. I'm just like, oh, okay, so I. I don't know, but um, yeah, my all signs kind of pointed to Carl for me, and you know, Carl only got one eye. Like, get get that boy out of here! Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh struggling. He's struggling. <laughs> <You're> awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, I of course don't want it to be uh, Glenn, and like you said. Um, Kim, they pulled that stupid okie doke last week, last year where they made us think that it was Glenn, which I never thought it was. I didn't, I didn't think he was dead, but they already pulled that. So to go back and kill him, it would just be in poor taste. I just would not be there for mm-hmm. it. But that being said, because they have they have raised the stakes and they've put so much anticipation into who it is, I've already said that it has it can't be anyone like Abraham or Rosita. You know what I mean? Like, it can't be any of the newbies. It's going to have to be what I call one of the originals. It's going to have to be someone mm-hmm. where you're just going to be, like, a big sobbing mess on the floor. So it could be <laughs> right. it could be Daryl, who I, I, I love Daryl, but if it was Daryl, that would be emotion, that would wreck me emotionally. I, um, I have an unpopular theory, and some people just cursed me the hell out when I threw it there. <laughs> but I was like, if you, if you really, really, really wanted to raise the stakes, and pull a Ned Stark, kill off Rick. That, that, nobody would see that coming. I'm yeah. okay with that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, okay with, <laughs> I'm okay with them killing Rick. Listen, as long as Michonne is there at the end, and Glenn is there, I'm okay. Because if they kill Michonne, black Twitter is going to rise up in a way that black Twitter has never rose up before. So they don't want to That's all I'm saying. Don't, don't play yourself. I mean, the ah. only reason why I would think it would be Michonne, because I think they love her. The only reason why I could see them killing off Michonne is if Danae Guerrera asked to be let out of her contract because, you know, her career is on, is on fire right now. You know what I mean? She had a Tony nominated play. And I know, you know, when she was promoting, um, when she was promoting the play, you know, she was saying how, you know, juggling, um, you know, the filming of The Walking Dead and then doing the writing is a little challenging. And so when she said that, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> she might want to be out of her. But if, 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 it's, if, it, if it's to kill Michonne so Danae Guerrero could go on to her black girl greatness, I won't like it. I'll live with it. I'll accept it. You know what I mean? But other than that, yeah, if it's Glenn, I'm not watching that show anymore. I love Stephen <laughs> so much. I love Glenn. But the thing is, I'm, I'm nervous because Glenn is in um, – he has a whole – huge GQ feature or something. Yes, and Lord. he's been getting yeah, and he's been getting a lot of media attention lately, which makes me really nervous. I'm like, no. Mm. Uh, but but again, yeah. um the yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just gonna say I you know, one, I'm really like confident that it's not gonna be Michonne for a number of reasons. One one okay. because she she is she does bring a certain um segment of the audience of the show every single week. That's one. Yeah. Two, yeah. she um, 
there's more to her character that mm-hmm. we are still waiting to unfold. So I think they're going to hold her for a moment. So the the deal with um, what's the boy's name? Um, Stephen Young's character, whose name I cannot remember right now. Glenn. Stephen Young's character, yes. So I've seen mm-hmm. all of, I know all of Glenn's story. Like, I get it. Like, if they want to, they, they want to, it, it would be devastating, but I feel like they're, I'm sure they can add more narrative. But I don't feel like I am missing narrative from, from Glenn. I would be missing narrative from Michonne, even though I, we got really, really connected from her, with her, with, uh, through flashbacks. Um, mm-hmm. I would be, I mean, in my head, I think Carol's just going to save the day because Carol just does that <laughs> naturally. Oh, God, and I so, hope so. You know, maybe, maybe that will happen. In my head, she just literally swoops in on a cape like underdog and just mm-hmm. like, helps everybody. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, I really think it's Carl. You know, he got one eye, y'all. He got one eye, and he's a kid. Like he, I, mean, he, I think he likes to think he's right. badass, but you're like you're not really that badass. You're like five feet. So let's let's be serious. Um, so oh, yeah, gosh. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I just hope that it's not because somebody was throwing around Maggie, and I was like, I don't think that the audience is gonna be here to see a pregnant woman getting bashed in the head with a bat. Like, I mean, mm. they could do it. I just I mm-hmm. would not be able to stomach that at all. Um, and, and the reason why, and the reason why actually why I think it won't be Maggie is because I think that there is something, because, you know, uh, with last season, she was like really sick with this pregnancy. I think that that baby, for some reason, I think that baby is going to be the key to them finding a cure of that. That Because I had that, I actually had that original, I actually had that original theory with Judith, I actually think, and I, the only reason why they don't know is because they don't have access to um, a research lab or that kind of technology, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, my science is not that great, but we, they did establish in the first season that everybody is a carrier of that, you know, whatever turns you into a, a zombie. So I would assume that if you, were, if, if you have a mother who carries that and then, you know, you conceive a child, there's got to be some kind of antibodies maybe some sort of antibodies that these babies might have in their blood that might lead them to a cure. At least I'm hoping maybe that's what it is. But, yeah, I like Maggie. I actually like Maggie a lot, and I would not want to see her um, suffer. And she just got Glenn back. So to kill Glenn, I just, oh, no. That would be too hard. (laughs) Come on. Nah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. All right, guys. So thank you so much for listening. Um, uh, all three of us will be live tweeting The Walking Dead. I gotta get my, I gotta get my, my, I gotta get my head right because I don't think I'm ready for this episode tonight. So, um, but yeah, we'll be live. <laughs> we'll be live <laughs> tweeting um, at nine o'clock. So you can find us on Twitter. I'm at filmfatale underscore NYC. Uh, Candice is at real talker. That's R E E L T A L K E R. And Kim is uh, at real. R-E-E-L-S-I-S-T-A-S. So we'll be feeling all the feels and having all the gas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Try so have a good week, everybody. <laughs> See you Bye. on the other side. <laughs>
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.